This evening, we are continuing in Zechariah. This is our study through the Bible. We started in Genesis, and we're almost at the very end of the Old Testament. So, Zechariah. Announcements are in the the bulletin, if you need that. But let's let's pray before we begin. Father, I just thank you for this time to study your word, to open it up, to have it transform our hearts, to uh, be moved and, and guided by it, to... Lord, be awakened by it, and, and Father, I, I just believe in, in Jesus' name, Lord, that your, your word has the, has the power to not only save us, but to also, Lord, just transform us. Your word says, we're told in your word that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And I just pray that that would happen this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Zechariah. Zechariah. The Zechariah, again, very important that you understand the context here. Israel had been established as a physical kingdom under the reign of Saul initially, and there, for about 400, 450 years, there was a king reigning in Israel. Before the kingdom was set up, in fact, before the Israelites even got into the area of Palestine, they were told in no uncertain terms by Moses that if they departed from the word of God, the Lord would remove from them the blessing of occupying this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And maybe a better way of say, saying it, they were, it, it was actually told to Moses in Deuteronomy, I believe that they would be removed from the blessing. In other words, they would be uh, taken away. And that's exactly what happened. They were taken away from uh, Jerusalem in the year 586 B.C., the Babylonians came in and destroyed the city and took many of the Jews 900 miles away to modern-day Iraq, to Babylon. It was a deportation of people by a conqueror, a pagan conqueror. It was the third that uh, a deportation that had happened. The first, I think, was in about 605 B.C. That's when the Babylonians came in Jerusalem. They didn't destroy it the first couple times, but they came in and they deported, among others, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And 
that the final time that they came in, they uh, destroyed everything in sight in Jerusalem, including the temple, and they hauled off uh, the, uh, the rem- many of the remaining Jews to the ones that weren't killed to Babylon. Jeremiah had prophesied that this exile would last 70 years. And indeed, after 70 years from the first deportation, I believe it was from the first one, uh, there was a decree that went out by the Persian king. The Persians had, in the meantime, defeated the Babylonians. Now they were uh, in control of the entire known world, including that area of Jerusalem and Palestine. And the decree was by Cyrus saying, go back and build your temple. Even though he was a pagan king, even though he worshiped foreign gods, God used him to uh, issue a command to, for the Jews to go back and rebuild their temple. So 50,000 of them did go back. They started the temple. But after two years, the neighboring community, communities were so threatened by this influx of Jews and the fact that they were building a temple that they uh, basically, through manipulation with the government authorities, got the whole building project to stop. And it stopped for 15 years. And And after 15 years, God sent Haggai and Zechariah, uh, sent them uh, to... uh, to, to speak into the, the, the Jewish people's lives. Look, you, you guys came here to rebuild the temple. You need to, you need to do it. And, and we read Haggai, which was right before Zechariah. He was a rebuker. He got up right in their faces and said, you know, you guys are enjoying your homes. You're enjoying your lives. But meanwhile, the, 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 the house of the Lord is, is in ruins. There's just a bunch of rubble there. You started a foundation, but... Uh, There's just a bunch of rubble there. Zechariah, prophesying at the same time, presented to them visions of the Lord. Visions of the Lord. And uh, chapter 3, the vision that's presented there, it's really, it it has stuck with me all week. We're in chapter 4 this evening, but that basically the two leaders that came back with the Jews, there was a secular leader, a governor, what we would call a governor. His name was Zerubbabel. Say that 10 times, and I'll give you a sticker really quick, right in a row, Zerubbabel. There was also a high priest, and the high priest's name was Joshua. Now, you can imagine the, how demoralizing it would be to be the high priest, where there's really only one place you're allowed to minister, and that is in the temple, but the temple's in ruins. There is no temple. And so this high priest, um, after the building project has stopped, you can imagine how demoralized that he was. Just, he's supposed to be serving the Lord, but he's not. And perhaps he got up every morning and, and walked over to the site of the former temple and just saw rubble there, just saw rocks. There was nothing there. And just how discouraging that had to have been. And 
in the midst of, you know, sometimes in the midst of your discouragement, God will send you a fantastic vision. He will speak to you in the most profound way. And that's what, in, in order to motivate you to start serving him again. And that's what happened to uh, uh, this high priest. His name was Joshua. In chapter 3, um, Zechariah was given a vision to give to Joshua the high priest. And the vision that he saw uh, was actually a vision of reality. And what he saw was Satan himself opposing, standing at the right hand of the high priest Joshua and opposing him. And on Joshua, the high priest, were filthy garments. Filthy garments that represented his sin. Filthy garments representing all the commands, the law that he had disobeyed. Uh, And the filthy garments which Satan was using to condemn him, to keep him from getting this project to move forward. And uh, in chapter 3 it says that uh, it, sa- it says that Satan was opposing him and that it says that the, that the Lord, it says in verse 2 of chapter 3, it says the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. And then the Lord removed the filthy garments and he replaced them with rich garments. And you can imagine how encouraging that must have been to Joshua, the high priest, who was probably, you know, after this amount of time, his forefathers had been the high priests themselves. The priests at that time, it ran in the family, in a specific family. It was the descendants of Aaron. And you can only believe that he knew of the rich, rich history of his forefathers serving in the temple as high priests. Meanwhile, he had been designated and had never been able to do it because the 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 temple was in ruins and 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 how the lord can speak into your life too just um just a rich rich word and how a, a, a rich word about the calling that that god has in your life and you know you may have those uh, your past representing the same, those same, those filthy garments representing your past where Satan just keeps you down, away from walking in your calling. And, and we, we can be completely confident as New Testament believers who have been given the Holy Spirit upon our salvation that greater is the power in us. And 1 John chapter 5 says that anyone who keeps himself, meaning abides with Jesus, it says that the evil one cannot touch him. It says in verse John chapter 5. And, uh, and, and, so, and so this really encouraging vision. And then in chapter 4, it gets even more encouraging. The Lord just didn't give him a vision of, of this uh, of his filthy garments being replaced and then just sort of leave it at that. He, he even goes further. It says in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, the angel who talked with me, me being Zechariah, came back and wakened me as a man who is wakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? Now, if it was Ezekiel, what would he say here? You guys Remember? No, he, remember what he said? You know, Lord. Remember that? 
Remember when the Lord asked Ezekiel, I mean, Ezekiel was asked what he saw in the vision. He kept on saying, well, you know. <laughs> Sorry. Um, that was just, he, this guy has a little bit more confidence, and he actually answers the question. He said, I am looking, and there is a lampstand of solid, solid gold with a bowl on top of it, and on the and on the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Okay? Now, we are operating at a disadvantage tonight because we don't have a projection screen. And I had all ready for you some pictures of this vision. But that's sorry. Tonight and tonight only, God willing, we, we don't get to um, visualize this through the images on the projection screen. But this is the vision. It's the menorah. It's, it's, you've seen those before, the, the Jewish menorah. And it says there are seven pipes going to each one of the seven lamps. Seven pipes. Just try to visualize that in your mind. It's only in the last, whatever, 30 or 40 years or something like that that we've had the advantage of projection, real-time projection screens in church services. For thousands of years, all they had was this. Verse 3 says, And two olive trees are by it, one at the right hand of the bull, and the other at its left. So there's a menorah. On top of the menorah, there's a bowl. And, and behind the bowl or to the side, there's seven pipes going into each of the lamps. Hmm. Now, has anyone seen the... Can, can, I'm sure you've probably seen it, but uh, is anyone familiar with the emblem for the modern state of Israel. Anyone? It looks a lot like this. Zechariah chapter 4. There's a, there's a menorah, and right to its right and to its left, again, we don't have the projection screen here tonight, are olive trees. So Israel actually uses this very chapter here to, for, for, for the emblem of the modern state. Of course, part of Zechariah has to do with the regathering of Israel, interestingly enough. So there's a bowl on top of the lampstand. And so I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? It is so important, you know, that we have the humility to ask the Lord when we don't understand something, when there's something in their life that, that's confusing. We should also have that same humility just with other believers who may be older than us in the Lord, or maybe they're younger in the Lord, when we don't understand something in the, in the Word. You know, what's this about in the Bible? Verse 5 says, Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. 
So he answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. I tell you, this guy's Zerubbabel, the governor. So, so chapter 3 was a message to Joshua the high priest, who was the religious, the spiritual leader. Chapter 4 is a message to the secular, the governor. And man, would it be nice to be one of these guys to have like a personal vision. Uh, and, and, and so this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. All this is a vision in order to encourage the Roman governor, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Anyone ever heard of that verse? Hmm? Any of you ever heard of that voice? Verse, yeah? yeah? Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. Can you imagine hearing this? Who are you, great mountain? Before Samuel, you will be, become a plain. Before Destiny, Jillian, Emberly, Amy, Jessica, you shall become a plain. What does the mountain represent? Just whatever obstacles. And he shall bring forth the capstone. The capstone is that, or the cornerstone, is that first, it's that first store, stone laid for the foundation of the temple with shouts of grace, grace to it. So Joshua had to be tremendously discouraged year after year for 15 years taking his walk through Jerusalem and those rub the rubble just the rubble that was the temple had to remind him of his own calling it's like this is like this rubble just represents my calling it's just like rubble it's just stones and here's the rubble same thing he was called to be a governor. He was called to rebuild the temple. He, he, was, he was the foreman of the project. It was his deal. And he's just looking at the rubble and there's this incredible vision that he's given here. And let me tell you, Zerubbabel, Zechariah, son, here's a vision I got from the Lord. That rubble which has to be so oppressive, the Lord is just, just speak to it. The Lord actually is speaking to it, and you, you, you should speak to it, just grace. Grace, God's going to have grace upon you. You weren't, supposed to, you weren't supposed to be waiting these 15 years. But God's going to have grace on you, and you're going to rebuild this. This 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 obstacle in front of you, this mountain. It says, who are you, O great mountain? You shall become a plain. This, 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 this mountain before you, this, this building project where you're supposed to 
rebuild the temple of the living God. And, and you know, all that is in any Jew's memory is the temple at, at Jerusalem, which is this just magnificent, magnificent structure where all of Jewish life revolved around this temple and all their history revolved around, or so much of their history, and, and the, the king of, of Persia, the one that came in after Cyrus, has ordered that the whole thing be stopped. And, and every day he's got to go home trying to figure out in his own mind, how am I going to rebuild this thing? And in your life, you may have this kind of thing. Maybe it's a family that's been ruined. Maybe it's just a testimony in your life that's been ruined. Maybe it's whatever, a job or whatever. How is this going to be rebuilt? How am I going to take the rubble that I have made of my life or that is, that, that, that is my life, the rubble, and, and do what the Lord has called me to do. How is that ever going to happen? And Zechariah says to him, the Lord says to him, it's not by might, not by your might, not by your wisdom, not by your smarts, not by your wit, not by your personality, not by you banging your head against the wall of your night and trying to figure out how to do this thing. Or by your power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. Now this menorah represents Israel. The pipes going to it represent the spirit of God. And yes, you can imagine the commentators are all over the place about what all this stuff... That, if you think this is strange, you just wait to what, we're, what else we're going to read tonight. <laughs> this one's easy. But we know that the pipes represent the power of God. And the fact that... It, which is the, 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 the power of God, the Holy Spirit keeping the light and the lampstand on. In other words, there may not be a physical structure right now in the temple, and there may not be a nation, but, but God's people will never be snuffed out, ever, because there is a source for their power that doesn't come from the world. Those these pipes going into the candles. There's a source of power there coming into those candles. And, you know, it's the same thing with, with our life. We can have confidence in the Holy Spirit empowering us. The, 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 the Holy Spirit, you know, these, these uh, menorahs, these lamps, they are lit by oil, and that's important. The menorah was, was lit by oil. Why? Because the um, later on, actually in the chapter, towards the end of the chapter, the, the olive tree, the olive branches, 
uh, drip into the receptacles of the two uh, of golden pipes, and so, uh, which is really interesting. Verse twelve: candles that are lit with a wick do what? They con- they're consumed after a while. They self-consume. They burn to the ground after a while. Their strength is consumed. That's what happens to us when we live by our own strength. No, we'll just consume our life. We'll just burn out. However, when we're empowered, when we're strengthened by the Holy Spirit, we don't burn out. We're allowing the Lord to, we're allowing whatever, the pipes of the Lord to just supply the power. And, and, and so this had to be incredibly encouraging to Zerubbabel in all his discouragement. So he gets his own little personal prophecy here in chapter 4, as, as Joshua did in, 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 in chapter 3. And it's like, and, and the Lord's, what the Lord's telling him is that, look, I'm not, my people are, have not been snuffed out. And it says in, in verses uh, 6 and 7, you see this big mountain in front of you, this, this incredible obstacle, this crazy building project that you're the head of and the thing is like in rubble now? Just speak grace to it. Right? And I'm shouting grace to it because all that rubble is going to be, it's going gonna, it's gonna to rise and the temple is going to um, come out of it. And, you, and, and, and that temple that you are in charge of rebuilding is going to go up. Verse 8, it says, More of the word the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands shall also finish it. Now, so remember, he had started the temple. He, which is exactly what this said. He had started the temple. His hands laid the foundation of it. So he's getting this personal prophecy. And the Lord does this sometimes. He speaks right into our life. His hand shall also finish it. And then when we're in a season of discouragement, where we started something and it feels like the Lord has, has gotten everything to a halt, rather the, the, the work has come to a complete um, halt, the Lord is faithful to come in and, and, and speak to us. His hand shall also finish it. And then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For who has despised the day of small things? For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. What's that about? These seven eyes. For these seven rejoice to see. They are the eyes of the Lord. What, what is that talking about? Who is that? It says it. These are the eyes of the Lord. Seven eyes. It says actually um, in, in the book of, of Revelation, it speaks of Seven eyes in the book of uh, 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 of Revelation. You see, where is it here? It says, and I, and I looked, this is John in Revelation, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, 
as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And so um, this is the Lord. And, you know, when we read a freaky vision like this, there's a danger that we'll miss the encouragement there. How incredibly encouraging it must be for Zerubbabel in this time of extreme discouragement. He's been just walking by this rubble for 15 years. He's, he, he's the head of this building project called Rubble. You know, you walk around Boston, there's these signs that says, whatever, Suffolk construction in front of a building or Shamit or whatever. Well, this is in front of the rubble. There's a sign, Zerubbabel. He's the building project. Oh, I'm really, uh, you know, I'm going to write home about this one to Babylon. This is, I'm a real successful guy. You would think that when he was, had started the project up again, the Lord would be like, oh, it's about time and, you know, we'd be watching them build it. Okay, yeah, well, you were supposed to have started this, uh, completed this uh, 12 years ago. No, it says the seven, it says the seven, um, it says these seven, verse 10, rejoice to see. The Lord rejoices if after a time of a prodigal season, he rejoices to see you just getting up and starting right back doing what you were called to do. Why? Because his son's blood paid for the sin. And his son's body was, was crushed and there was a resurrection to give you the power to take advantage of the grace. And it and, and, and says the Lord actually rejoices. Just... I'm in conversations all the time with, with people who have just such a hard time believing that they can just get right up and start. You know, after they've been in a season where we discussed this morning, First Peter chapter 4, a, a, a season of, of lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, abominable idolatries, First Peter chapter 4, verse 3. They just... It's, too, it's unfathomable for them to believe that the, that the Lord, if, if they do anything at all, that the Lord's going to be any mo- anything more than sort of reluctantly looking at them, saying, okay, they finally got started. No, it says the Lord rejoices when that happens. Verse 11, Then I answered and said to him, What are those two olive trees? at the right hand of the lampstand and at its left. And I further answered and said to him, what are these two olive trees, olive branches that drip into the receptacles of the two gold pipes from which the golden oil drains? So apparently, (laughs) without the benefit of the projection screen, (laughs) the olive branches are dripping oil into golden pipes, which apparently are feeding the other golden pipes that are all going into the seven lamps of the menorah. This is rep- representing the Holy Spirit, representing the, the fact that, that 
that Israel's um, light is not going to be snuffed out, neither is the churches. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Jesus said that. That's just a doctrinal foundation block from the Old Testament. Old Testament. Verse 13, then he answered and said, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. Verse 14, so he said, these are the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. And now the two anointed ones, there's an immediate fulfillment of this and there's a long-term fulfillment of this. And the long-term, the, the, the um, short-term fulfillment of this is this is Joshua the high priest, and Zerubbabel, and they're called the anointed ones who stand beside the uh, Lord of, uh, of the whole earth. And they are just to have received this encouragement at this time, to have received this encouragement that they have actually been anointed. They've been chosen. Now, for those of you who know your end times prophecy, in the book of, of Revelation, these two anointed ones uh, enter the scene again. And it says in Revelation chapter 11, during the final three and a half years, of the tribulation immediately prior to the return of Christ, it says this in Revelation chapter 11. It says, I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy 1,260 days. It's three and a half years. Clothed in sackcloth, these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands bef standing before the God of the earth. This is a reference right back to Zechariah chapter 4, verse 2. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. And so... In the end times, there's going to be these two witnesses. Now, volumes and volumes of books are loaded with who these two are. Some think it's Moses and Elijah. Others think it's Enoch and uh, Moses. And th there's many different variations of, um, of, of who they think it is. But these, these, these two witnesses in the end times are prophesying to the, the, just the wickedness that is taking place during the times immediately before the return of Jesus. And it says here, when they finish their testimony, verse 7 of chapter 11, this is again speaking of the two witnesses in the end time, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them, and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which, which spiritually is called Sodom and, and, and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Then they, those uh, from the people's tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead, their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put in the graves. I mean, John certainly didn't know that there was going to be 
TV and satellite TV and this type of thing someday, which would actually allow the entire world to be seen this scene. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, making merry and sending gifts to one another, because these two prophets tormented those who dwelled on the earth. In other words, they were like a thorn in the side of the earth that they were uh, testifying to their wickedness. And, and no one ever likes to be told that what they are doing is wicked. And then it says, now after three and a half days, um, the breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet and their great, great fear fell on all those who saw, saw them. And they ascended it to heaven in a cloud and their enemies saw them. So, ooh, boy are we in, tr- in trouble now <laughs> type of thing when, they, when they, these two are raised to life. But that's right out of uh, Zechariah uh, chapter 4. It goes on in chapter 5 and says, Then I turned and raised my eyes, and I saw there a flying scroll. And he said to me, What do you see? I said, I see a flying scroll. Its length is 20 cubits, and its width 10 cubits. This is a vision that Zechariah is seeing. Then he said to me, this is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole earth. Every thief shall be expelled according to this, uh, this side of the scroll, and every perjurer shall be expelled according to, the, to that side of it. I will send out a curse, says the Lord of hosts. It shall enter the house of the, this, the, the thief, and the house of the one who swears falsely by my name. It shall remain in the midst of his house and consume it with its timber and stones. Then the angel who talked with me came and said to me, lift your eyes now. And see what this is that goes forth. And, and I asked, what is it? And he said, it is a basket that is going forth. And he also said, this is their resemblance throughout the earth. Here is a lead disc lifted up. And this is a woman sitting inside the basket. And then he said, this is wickedness. And he thrust her down into the basket and threw the lead cover over its mouth. In other words, over the, uh, the, the, the basket and shut it closed so this woman couldn't get out. And then I raised my eyes and looked. And there were two women coming with the wind in their wings, for they had wings like the wings of a stork. And they lifted up the basket between earth and heaven. So I said to the angel who talked with me, where are they carrying the basket? And he said to them, to build a house for it in the land of Shinar. When it is ready, the basket will be set there on its base. Eek. What is all that about? What is all that about? Well, let me give you my best shot at it. There is certainly an immediate fulfillment of this, and a more immediate near-term fulfillment prophecy here where it appears that at this time there were many that so many of the Jews had come back to 
Jerusalem. There had been 50,000 of them. After the building project to rebuild the temple stopped, again, about 15 years. And, and what happened, it just uh, turned into um, this situation where just everyone's trying to make a buck. You know, everyone is just trying to uh, make as much money as they can. And everyone's lying to themselves. And everyone's just doing their thing. Forgetting about why they returned there in the first place. And not only that, there were a lot of, the same people were naysayers. In other words, I think it's entirely possible that from time to time, Joshua the high priest and Zerubbabel the Roman governor would go to the people, hey, you know, we're really supposed to be doing this building project, but everyone was so busy making money, they're like, oh no, come on. They're too busy stealing from one another. You know, my son, Sam, you guys know who Sam is? My son? He's sitting right now in this room. Sam, why aren't you sitting with your wife? She would really like for you to come sit next to her right now. (laughs) But he graduated from Bible college, and I'm really proud of my son, Sam. Um, And he he and his his new wife, Emberly, they they would really like to go into the the mission field. And uh, the Lord's really put Venezuela on, on their heart. It's one, of, it's one of the only places in Latin America there's not a single Calvary Chapel. There's over 20 in Peru. I think there's about 20 in Chile. There's one in Argentina, by the way, and God willing, we'll be going there in February. Just heard from Pastor Leo there a couple days ago. But, uh, you know, Sam and I were talking about what I thought was the best thing for him to do to prepare him. And... To, to go out there, and he had a number of different opportunities. You know, one of them, the possibility of working in a in a Christian school. But but I told him, I think you you know you need to come here, and you need to take a job, and you need to go out into the real world, and uh, try to make a, as much money as you can, and live in the, a crazy worldly environment where everyone's like making money and. And, the Ameri- and everyone's pumped up by the American dream. And you see if this missionary thing, this call on your, God, on your heart is real. I think the best thing that could happen to any, uh, the best preparation for any pastor or, or missionary is go out and, and make a job and earn six figures. Well, he's not quite doing that as a busboy. He's, he he's, he's now a, a food runner. But um, he's not making quite that much, but uh, he's making a lot of bucks over there at this five-star steakhouse in downtown Boston. But I'm absolutely serious in, 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 in my advice. You know, the Lord will test people to see if their calling is real. And, and unfortunately, so many of these folks failed the test. Because as soon as the building project stopped, and really it never should have, it appears that it never should have stopped. At least for 15 years, everyone just started going into the whole commercial Babylon thing and making as much money as they want. They're all stealing and cheating. And, 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 and so what happens 
Zechariah is given this vision, and the vision is passed on to Jeroboam as a, as a personal encouragement to him, saying, you know, all these people that are lying and cheating and stealing and just so they can make as much money as possible, what they have sown, they will reap. What they have sown, they will reap. Now, some commentators go much further here, and this is just sort of a, an allusion similar to what Jesus says, or what is in John chapter 3, that the wrath of God remains on anyone who doesn't believe, that, that, you know, that, that God's law, he's really serious about his law, and someday there's going to be judgment. And it could be that there's sort of a, you know, a larger context here, but... Um, what about these, this crazy vision with this basket? There's a woman inside of the basket. The basket, a piece of lead is put on top of the lid of the basket, trapping the woman. And then these two other women, uh, angels, take them back to the land of Shinar. Where's the land of Shinar? Anyone? Babylon, Genesis chapter 11. It's the original Babylon. It's where the Tower of Babel was built. And so it could be, although I don't know that there's a specific record of this, that the Lord is telling, it says this, this basket is going to, it says this basket and this woman, it rep, she represents, says, verse 8, it says, this is wickedness. And he thrust her down into the basket and put a lead cover over. It could be that there, that, that there was a migration of a lot of these naysayers what, you want to build a temple? Oh, stop that. We're too busy making money. We're too busy stealing and making money. It could be that a lot of these people somehow migrated back to Babylon. Could be. The Lord drew them back. And how encouraging that would have been to Zerubbabel. Now, some believe that there, and this is really, really difficult. Um, some believe that in the latter days, and since there is um, obviously here um, a connection to the time of tribulation in the first uh, few uh, first few verses here, where it speaks of no, no rather the. Um, in, in, in verse 14, there's this allusion to the two anointed ones who will be, uh, where there's a direct tie there to Revelation chapter 11 and, and, and two anointed ones prophesying the last three and a half day, uh, years before the return of Christ, uh, that this is something that's going to happen in the latter days where um, that there will be Per, I don't know if you would call it the, 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 the headquarters or the base of operations of the, of the Antichrist or something like that in modern-day Iraq or that area. Which is going to happen in, in the latter days. We don't know. It, it, it does look like it, it appears that it not only has an immediate fulfillment, but there's something that's going to be happening in the latter days where um, uh, either the Antichrist or, or, or some kind of base of operations for the Antichrist is going to be in that area. 
We don't know for sure. <laughs> and uh, you know, this is this is a difficult uh, this is a difficult chapter. But I'm just going to wrap this up with the main message here is a message of extreme encouragement to an, to an extremely discouraged man. Zerubbabel, the Roman governor, was a sign in front of the rubble building project, Zerubbabel. And that rubble was just a reminder of his failure every day. And the Lord's coming in and saying, don't be, don't be discouraged. Just get up and do what you've been told to do. I, I, there's, there's a shout of grace. There'll be a shout of grace to that, to that rubble. And, and you're going to be walking in grace. But not only that, I'm going to rejoice. The Lord is going to rejoice at what you do. Yeah, you should, have, you should have been doing, you should have started this back up years ago. Doesn't matter. I'm going to be rejoicing at this work. Better late than never. You thought some real smart philosopher came up with that in the last hundred years. From the Bible. And not only that, the Lord rejoices. There's so much grace. Just shout to the rubble, grace, grace, verse 7 of chapter 4. The Lord rejoices even when we show up late. Now, that's not an excuse to show up late to Sunday morning or Sunday evening service. But there's grace to all of you who did tonight. No, not a problem, really. Um, but seriously, how encouraging the Lord is. And, and, and not only that, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, when they have this mountain in front of you, how am I going to move this mountain? This, these obstacles are like a mountain. Verse 7 says, Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. Before Destiny, before Scott, before Amy, before Sam, before Julian, before Emily, before Jimmy. Before you, Jimmy. Jimmy, before you too. There's this big mountain of problems. It says God will make that thing into a plane. And I, I do believe that, that Jesus could very well have had this in mind. You know, in Mark chapter 11, it says, you just a mustard seed of faith. You'll say to this mountain, be gone, and it'll go into the sea. So this wonderful message of encouragement. So this evening... Um, as all Sunday evenings, we just want to end in prayer. And so Greg's going to come up here and he's going to play the guitar. And uh, maybe we can shut down the lights a little lower and we're going to pray. We're going to go into groups of four and five. So if you can uh, just retire, uh, not retire, to move, get up and move and rearrange your seats into little groups of four and five, we are going to just finish out the... Uh, service now here. Is Greg here? Where is Greg? He's coming. Oh, he's coming. So it, why don't you just get in your groups of four and five, and I will come back in just a couple minutes, and we can begin prayer.